You can take your Bibles and find your way to Psalm chapter 34. This morning we're pausing our expository series in the uh, the book of 1 John to give some attention to the topic of thankfulness. The national holiday of Thanksgiving, of course, you're all aware, is later this week. And at its core, at its best, Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday. I find it amazing that in a society that is so often characterized by the relentless pursuit of more, no matter the cost, that we are reminded to be thankful. Uh, Thankfulness is important in the Christian life. In fact, the scriptures speak about thankfulness a lot. Uh, We're commanded to be thankful. God's people are in passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where we're told to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And God expresses displeasure towards unthankfulness. In Romans chapter 1, uh, one of the descriptions of uh, pagan, unbelieving, uh, unconverted hearts that are darkened by sin, is it says that they knew God, but they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. We might just kind of glance past that, but the Scriptures put a heavy importance upon thankfulness. The psalm that we started this morning, Psalm 100, is a psalm of thankfulness. In fact, in verse 4, if you remember what we read together uh, this morning, it's told, we're told to enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his course with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. We're told this is how we approach God. Thankfulness is at the center of a right response to God. Our thankfulness actually, we're told, glorifies God, another feature of Christian thankfulness. In Psalm chapter 50, we're told that the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. We could go on and on, right? There's so much in the scriptures about the topic of thankfulness. We uh, couldn't try to exhaust all of the script, what the scriptures say, certainly in a sermon, certainly in a shorter sermon. But I believe that we all understand that biblical thanksgiving is a necessity for the Christian life. And we probably, me even mentioning it, might make you feel a little guilty about, yeah, you know, I probably should be more thankful. Or maybe you're one of those strange people that just is thankful all the time. That's good. We need you around, okay? But as we think about thankfulness, as we hear scriptural exhortations to be thankful, reminders to be thankful, God's expectations for this to be the characteristic of his people, maybe your heart feels a little guilty about not being thankful enough. So I want to be careful uh, that we don't get um, caught up in an initial feeling of guilt and let that be a motivation for us this morning as we look at this topic. And so in some introductory kind of remarks, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between guilt and gratitude to try to clear the air on that a little bit. And then our aim this morning is going to be looking into Psalm 34, just the first few verses of that, and find two helpful truths for us as we consider the topic of thankfulness from the scriptures. But first, let's examine a little bit of this relationship between uh, gratitude and guilt. And uh, what I'm working through this morning is not original to me. I've been helped by reading others uh, put together some of these thoughts. Gratitude is often connected with guilt when somebody brings up thankfulness. Um, parents, have you ever done this? I've done this as a parent. Uh, somebody gives your child something and you kind of look over with that parental eye like, come on. And, and you know, your kid looks at you and they, oh, it's right. Thank you. And they say it. As a parent, you're trying to remind them, almost guilt them into this response of thankfulness. And I know as parents, we're trying to build these habits of thankfulness. That's important. I'm not diminishing the need for that. But what is gratitude? Is gratitude just an obligatory response that your parents require you to do and now it's a habit and you carry it on for the rest of your life? What is Christian gratitude? 
Well, gratitude has been defined numerous ways. One way would be like this. It's the pleasant sense experienced as a result of the goodwill from receiving something of worth. I know that's a mouthful, right? I'll say it again. It's the pleasant sense experienced as a result of the goodwill from receiving something of value or something of worth. Gratitude is the impulse to acknowledge a gift and the goodwill behind the gift. We normally don't say thank you when somebody begrudgingly gives you something. I've seen that happen in other people's homes with other kids where you say, give that back, and fine, they give it, thank you, and it's just kind of spiteful response. That's not the idea of gratitude. It's this impulse to acknowledge the gift and the goodwill behind the gift. It's an effort to express how good we feel, how glad we feel about the gift and the heart of the giver. So gratitude is primarily a response of joy in the scriptures, not a response of guilt. And if we miss this idea of joyful response in the idea of Christian gratitude, then we're missing really the core of what thankfulness, what gratitude is for Christians. If we miss this idea of joy and gratitude, what happens is we shift into what's commonly called the debtor's ethic. Maybe you've heard of that before, the debtor's ethic, where the debtor's ethic is when you think, okay, because you've done something good for me, now I feel indebted to do something good for you. And sometimes in our world, that can be called thankfulness. How did you show your thankfulness? Well, I I did this for them in return. The debtor's ethic, when we start to feel guilt motivating gratitude, it's going to start to make gratitude into a sort of work, into a sort of an effort to pay back this debt that we owe someone else, or particularly in in our focus this morning, we're paying back God. It turns good deeds, religious acts, into a sort of installment payment to pay back this debt that we, that we, unpayable debt we owe God. When that happens then, we've lost really the essence of Christian gratitude. Gratitude and thankfulness, the scriptures call us to, is not motivated by guilt. It's not motivated by a sense of debt. So the gratitude and thankfulness that the scriptures call us to, that we read about in Psalm 100, that we're going to look in in Psalm 34, is a gratitude that is not motivated by guilt, but it's really an invitation for celebration, an invitation to experience joy. It's not obligatory or driven by a debt, but it's inviting us into a glad exaltation of God. So, we're going to look a little bit at that from Psalm 34, which is why I had you turn there in just the first few verses. And basically, the sermon this morning is going to be a brief meditation on Christian thankfulness from Psalm 34 with this as the background. And I'd like for you, if you can, in the back of your mind, be thinking about a story of God's grace to you in 2020 that you'd be willing to share with your church family this morning. We're going to give some time for that. I'd like you to begin thinking about that now. So long as you're not thinking about that so much, you're not thinking about what we're thinking about here, okay? <laughs> All right, so we can confuse now. So, um, Psalm 34, looking at the idea of Christian thankfulness, motivated out of joy, not guilt. I'm going to read the first few verses of Psalm 34. You can follow along silently. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For the sake of time, we're not going to go into all the details or the circumstances surrounding this psalm. Maybe you remember it from our series in the Psalms from this past summer, where Psalm 34 uh, is a psalm that's attributed to, in fact, some of you would have a little title uh, before verse 1 in your scriptures. 
And it's attributed to when David changed his behavior when he was brought before Abimelech and Abimelech uh, lets him go. And a little bit of the context, David is running from Saul and things are bad, so bad that David is fleeing from King Saul, who is a king of Israel at the time. David is the anointed second king uh, to be king. He's fleeing from, David, uh, from King Saul uh, so much that David finds himself in the area of the Philistines of Gath. I know we don't know what these words mean, right? It's not like we're talking about Houston or some other place we understand. But Gath is significant for David because David killed the champion of Gath named Goliath years ago. David is running for his life from Saul. It's so bad he finds himself fleeing into this territory of Gath, which is where he was the champion Goliath. David is captured. Uh, which would have been a great coup. I mean, you've got, they're bringing David before the king of Gath, saying, we caught the guy that killed Goliath. We caught the guy that killed our champion. Here he is. Well, David knows he's a goner. I mean, he knows he's a goner. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter, I think it's 21, uh, it's described, David, it says he, it was, he was very afraid, right? So he's brought before the king of Gath, and what David does is he, I mean, desperate times, desperate measures. The only thing he can do, he can't overpower his captors, so he feigns that he's insane, he starts slobbering at the mouth. He starts letting drool run over his beard. He starts acting erratically. And the king of Gath, Abimelech, sees him and says, I've got plenty of madmen and sane people in my kingdom. I don't need more. Let the guy go. And they do. And David escapes with his life. And as a result of that, this psalm is attributed to David writing a psalm of celebration at God's deliverance of him from that desperate circumstance. So this Psalm 34 is a celebration of God's deliverance. It's words of thankfulness, of joyful exaltation in what God has done. It's not motivated out of a guilt of now David's got to figure out a way to pay God back for his deliverance, so hey, I'm going to pen a psalm. And look at the words that David uses. He talks about this praise being in him continually. There's two ways you might read that. You might think, one, man, I've got to do this all the time? But some of you are going to eat a Thanksgiving meal that you are going to praise continually this week. Why? Because it was so good. It's not going to be like, oh man, I've got to do this all the time. Um, you understand what I mean? Some of you will drive a car or you'll meet a girl or a guy that's going to, you're just going to, you cannot shut up about praising them. Why? Because your heart is so full of glad exultation in that person. Adoration. This is the sentiment that David is describing. That's Christian thankfulness. So it's a celebration, it's an exaltation, it's a joyful gladness that's being expressed. And that's what we get to then experience and emphasize this week with Thanksgiving. So, two simple truths for us this morning. One, Christian gratitude is God-centered. Number two, Christian gratitude flows from a humble heart. Christian gratitude is God-centered and it flows from humility. Very simple this morning. First, Christian gratitude is God-centered. Look in these first few verses of Psalm 34. God is the object of his praise. God is what David's praise is centered on. This term bless that is found here. I will bless the Lord at all times. We sang it in one of our songs this morning. This term bless is closely tied with the parallel word praise. You see them both there in that first verse. We often understand what praise is, right? Praise is expressing warm approval, showing admiration for something or someone. But bless. The term bless is interesting because blessings are something which we ordinarily think of receiving from God, not something we often think of giving to God. In fact, as you read through the Genesis account in the scriptures, you're going to come across this action of bless, this verb of blessing. You've got stories, and we're not going to go into all of them, but just a couple to remind us 
uh, when you think of Isaac was being tricked into blessing his son Jacob. Right? He's supposed to bless Esau, the firstborn, but he gets tricked into blessing Jacob, and Jacob brings him the meal, pretending to be Esau, puts a cloth, uh, you know, fur on his arms to trick his dad, and, J- and Jacob blesses, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac blesses Jacob. He's giving that blessing. Or, or jump ahead a couple generations when you have Joseph in e- Egypt, and Jacob is ready to die, and Joseph brings his sons to Jacob, and Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. You see this through the scriptures, a blessing being given from one to the other. How do we bless God? How does that work? I believe that we bless the Lord in Psalm 34. We bless the Lord when we return to God in words of praise and thanksgiving, this joyful gratitude. We return to God in those words of praise from the excesses of the blessing that he's given us. What this means then is, in other words, we bless God out of the leftovers of the blessing that he's given us. He fills us up with blessing, with gratitude, and it spills on over, out of us, so much so that we cannot be silent. We've got to tell others, we've got to put our praise back to God for all that he's blessed us with. What this means is Christians are living in the conscious awareness of what James wrote about in his letter. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God. Christian thankfulness is distinctly God-centered because we understand from the Scriptures that that is true. Just pause in your mind and kind of do an inventory of all the good that is existing in your life today. And if you're thinking, you don't, you don't even know how bad my life is. I'm sitting here trying. If that's how you're thinking, just give it some more time. Here, I mean, even in the sense of just physical creature comforts, here you sit in a climate-controlled room on cushioned seats. And I know there's lots of things that are going wrong in our world. But just to pause and think about the good, the person you're sitting next to, the person that greeted you when you came in, or maybe I'm reminding you of things that didn't go well this morning. I'm sorry that's happening. So think about other things. Every good gift, every perfect thing is coming from God. Our American society would like you to think it comes from your hard work or from your clever thinking or from your ingenuity or from your entrepreneurial spirit or on and on it goes. But where did any of that come from? Where did your ability to have any of that thought or intellect or or processing in your reasoning and your ability and your physical ability, on and on it goes, we, wind, we find ourselves tracing that beam of light back up to its source, which is God. So today, as we look forward to giving some testimonies of thankfulness, let's be sure to be God-centered. God-centered. Our world is often object-centered or circumstance-centered or physical um, uh, accomplishment-centered. Christians are unique. We are God-centered. Christian Gratitude is God-centered. And number two, Christian gratitude flows from a humble heart. Can you find the theme of humility in Psalm 34? As you glance through those first few verses, I know the word humble is stated there explicitly. You see it in verse 2. But the theme of humility is really pervading all of those verses in the beginning. Right? Verse 1, David pledges to continually praise God. Only the humble can do that. Because when you're proud, you're going to see praise of others as a threat. Maybe you've experienced that yourself, or you've seen somebody underneath the clutches of that kind of pride, where 
maybe this is happening at work or maybe in your family with your children or maybe in your extended family where somebody is getting praise and, and all you feel is lack of praise. Look at verse 2. David is boasting in the Lord. My soul makes its boast. Right? You say, well, boasting is typically an action of, of pride. It is, except when you're boasting in God. Let the humble hear and be glad. This is the response to that. Again, pride, those that are proud are not glad to boast in God because the proud are people who boast in themselves. They don't have room to boast in God. And by the way, we can be tricky with our boasting, can't we? We can have positive boasting, and maybe that's the wrong word, Positive in the, in the idea of inflated sense of self. Look at all I've done, kind of this chest thumping, you know, look at me. Or we could have negative boasting, which would be self-pity. Woe is me. Me is still the center there. It's all it's horrible for me. There it is again. Whether it's this sense of self-absorption or self-pity, we can still have this idea of no room for us to what? Be glad and boast in God. So let's think about this some more. Pride is what kills gratefulness. When we're proud, we're often plagued by a spirit of entitlement, right? It's not possible to give thanks to God, to do what David is saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When we're accusing God of not giving us what we think we deserve. I mean, think about the circumstances that David wrote the psalm under. He was captured. He's running from Saul. He's a fugitive. All why? David wasn't trying to be king. God said, you're going to be the man. I mean, if we took a modern day mentality unto David, maybe we could imagine David saying, God, why have you done this to me? Why couldn't you just let me be a shepherd and play my harp and sing songs to sheep and just live the simple life? Now I'm thrust into the, into the center stage and being chased down by the national army. Now I'm in Gath and I'm captured. God, I don't deserve this. You've abandoned me. You've lost me. No, David what? David finds not a sense of entitlement, but he is a humble man, and he makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble, what, hear and be glad. You're not going to be glad with people praising and, and, and exalting in God when you wish that they were praising and exalting you. Or you think God hasn't given you what you deserve. Which, by the way, this is where the Christian worldview sets us free from that deadly thinking. The gospel destroys any of that notion of self-importance or a sense of self-entitlement. The Christian gospel reminds us... It, not just reminds us, it teaches us, because we don't understand this on our own, teaches us that we are sinners deserving of only God's wrath because we are engaged in constant acts of treason against God. We are worshiping all sorts of things other than God, ourselves primarily. And we're in this lifestyle of love for sin and an abandonment of God, and yet God in his riches of his mercy and what the scriptures call grace He reached into that murky pit of sin and set his affection upon us and showed us his glory and drew us to himself through repentant faith so that we could enjoy him forever by having our sins forgiven, the burden of our guilt being removed through the substitute of his son Jesus. And that was all entirely undeserved. None of us have merited it or earned it or impressed God enough to cause him to take action like that, it was entirely because he is a gracious, good, merciful, compassionate God who delights to save sinners like all of us. And so when we think about it through a Christian worldview, then yes, we can join in the chorus of David in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'll bless the Lord if I'm running for my life from Saul or if I'm captured by the king of Gath. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. The message of Christianity is about God who is gracious. I wonder, do you know God like that? Are you a Christian? Do you find this idea of Christian thankfulness a little obscure and odd because your understanding of God is much different or your expectations of God are different or maybe you're kind of thinking that, that Christianity is kind of this offering people the American dream and the good life along with some spiritual, you know, uh, tapestries. Well, in verses 4 through 7, our theme of humility continues. In verse 4, right, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You might be thinking, where is humility in that? Friends, only the humble seek the Lord. Pride, proudful people do not seek God. Or if they do, they seek it for self-serving reasons. Like the Pharisees would seek God, so, quote-unquote, so they could have a sense of superiority or self-righteousness over other awful sinners, right? Remember the, the, the Pharisee that was praying and then the, the publican that was praying? There's a story about that. The Pharisees, God, I think you're not like this other person. And so there could be a twisted sense of that, but... No, only those who are humble are going to seek the Lord and find deliverance from all their fears. Verse 5, proud people are not going to look to the Lord because they're looking to themselves. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When I read Psalm 34, verse 5, I think of the accounts of martyrs. You ever read some of those accounts? Faithful Christians of ages past that gave their lives for faithful testimony to Christ, how they would go to the stake or be killed, and they did it with such triumph. How in the world? They had radiant faces as they faced the end under dreadful circumstances. How? Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be, ash- and their faces shall never be ashamed. I do believe that that is primarily fulfilled in the radiance that we are given through the righteousness of Christ as Christians. Verse 6, only the humble are going to admit that they're poor. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. On and on you can go to find that theme of humility in Psalm 34. Again, gratitude for Christians is not motivated out of guilt. It's motivated out of awe and wonder at the excesses of God's lavish blessings upon us. In our modern age, we can be proud and not even know it. We are naturally prone to pride, the scriptures say. By our sinful nature, our society is constantly fueling pride. Buy this and you're going to feel great. Do this and you're going to be awesome. Wear this and it's going to be cool. But we have advanced technologies, which I'm thankful for, right? We drove in cars that were very advanced, right? But what can happen is that can seep into our souls so much so that we start to push God out of the bounds as if we don't really need him as much. I wonder if perhaps our difficulty or inability to bless the Lord at all times, to have Christian gratitude, is sometimes because of our pride. So again, our motivation for gratefulness is not to be out of guilt. You say, well, it sounds like you're doing that to me right now because you're just calling me proud. All I'm doing is suggesting for us to examine our lives before the scrutiny of God's word so that we can enjoy him better. How do God's people enjoy him? Psalm 34 We're going to talk about him at all times. We're going to exult in him. We're going to find gladness in him. We're going to boast about him. That's how. So you might say, well, it's easy to be thankful in good times, but you don't know how bad things are in my life right now. And you're right, I don't. There are probably hidden sorrows and troubles represented in this room that no one else knows about. But Psalm 34 has truth for you that will be life-giving. 
psalm, this psalm makes it abundantly clear that those who bless the Lord are not beyond the reach of pain and suffering, which I think we kind of established because we've looked at the circumstances in which David wrote this psalm. But glance down through a few other verses. In verse 6, he's describing himself as poor. That sounds like in need, right? In verse 8 and verse 22, he's talking about people taking refuge in God. So he's kind of considering himself as a refugee in life, needing God's protection. That doesn't sound very triumphant and victorious. sounds like bad things are happening. In verse 6, in verse 15, in verse 17, he's describing somebody who's crying out to God under oppression. They're brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, verse 18. People must rely on God to redeem them, in verse 22. People to save them out of all their troubles, verse 6, verse 17, verse 19. Psalm 34 is full of the honest snapshot of life in a sin-cursed world. And so the psalm of thanksgiving reminds us that the ones who are in the midst of trouble are the ones who experience the blessings of God. Our world wants us to think of it otherwise. Troubles in life are because God's not blessing you. Well, wait, what about Jesus? This teaches us something about what it means then to be someone who blesses the Lord in thankfulness. Our sorrow, our troubles, the oppressions, it doesn't remove God's blessing. It doesn't remove our opportunity for gratefulness. In fact, it seems, according to Psalm 34, that we can be most thankful while in sorrows and troubles because it's when we're in those circumstances that we often have the clearest vision of God's blessing and mercy to sinners. When we realize we're, we're in control of very little in life, that our entire existence is because of God's pleasure so then, really, this leads us to the gospel. Our, our thankfulness today is a, isn't a celebration of wealth or physical comforts. It's not brought on to us by entrepreneurial spirit or hard work. Christian thankfulness is really a celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, don't, we can't pay that debt back. That's not the motivation. Really, Christian gratefulness is to celebrate and exult in the salvation of God to have our hearts glad and to be boasting to one another that God would delight to save a sinner like me. That's why the Apostle Paul says that he was a man who was, really he called himself the chief of sinners. What is this? A man who's boasting, exalting in the salvation of God. So then, true Christianity really troubles our paradoxically what draw us even deeper into the greater joy of knowing God. You say, I don't have room for thanksgiving. My troubles are so deep. Friend, the scriptures say you've got great opportunity to give thanks to God because you realize how dreadful things really are in your life apart from the gospel. 